life goes on and, and so does that, uh, unfortunately. All of a sudden, good news becomes the news. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to flare in the United States and the Capital Region. And so too do we here at the Times Union. We're in full gear, keeping up with the latest news on how the state and region is coping with an unprecedented situation that's affecting every single citizen. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. We're checking in now with Times Union editor Casey Seiler. Casey, what were the top stories in the paper this week? Setting aside the outstanding kind of day in, day out coverage that we've had on how the you know coronavirus is sweeping through both the state and through our region, um, I would single out a, a couple of features that kind of take what you might consider to be a step back. I would point to Chris Churchill's outstanding column on Tuesday about Bruce Sawalski, who was the first fatality in Rensselaer County from COVID-19, a guy who was just somebody who you read about him and you think, God, I wish I I had known this guy. Remarkable, generous, big-hearted person. And it really gives you a sense, much more than the statistics can, of the kind of human scale of of the loss. Um, Thankfully, in the capital region, we're not experiencing anything like the level of fatalities that have been seen in New York City, but it's a, it's a really grim reminder. And then switching around uh, kind of from, from dark to light, if, if you will, I would also point to uh, Tim Wilkin, our outstanding sports writer, who at this point in the year would like nothing better than to be writing sort of stories preparing people for the Kentucky Derby, but he wrote about um, uh, Kevin Herter, who uh, is, of course, a local guy, phenomenal basketball player, uh, now uh, playing for the NBA with the Atlanta Hawks. And he, like so many people, uh, has had to to kind of bug out and come home. He is now back at his parents' house in Clifton Park, trying to do what he can to stay in shape at the the family's kind of home basement gym, if you will, and also playing pickup basketball with his two sisters who are um, who are about both outstanding high school players whose season you know has has also been ended by this and uh, and his brother who is who has returned from college so there was much discussion as to whether or not a story like that should be on the front page right next to uh, a story about the fact that uh, on Tuesday the state racked up its highest one day tally of deaths. But it was determined, I think, I think we came to the right decision that both stories needed to be told. And I did hear from a number of readers who said, I was really glad to read that, uh, a good story that reflected, a, you know, what a lot of families are, of course, going through in the region right now. You know, just your family, your household and mine included. Certainly, certainly. Now, the paper has also put out a new video that's circulating on TV and digital platforms. The Capital Region the center of government, for the state at the center of the crisis. When the facts matter, 
The Times Union brings people together. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how it came to be? Yeah, this was a, a proposal that came from the Hearst Corporation, and it's being done across, across the newspaper group. You know, the Hearst uh, Corporation also owns newspapers in San Francisco and Houston and San Antonio, a raft of papers throughout Connecticut, and all of them uh, have developed a 30-second spot for what is essentially a branding campaign. The branding campaign is kind of meant less to, to say, subscribe today, but rather to remind people that these papers, these institutions like the Times Union have an important role to play in helping our communities make it through crises like this. For more than 160 years, we've been there as our community faced war, disaster, tragedy, and rose to- Just in the last 10 years, there has been Superstorms Irene and Lee, the Schoharie limo crash, the Cohoes fire. These are all terrible conflagrations that have brought about great loss, um, loss of property, loss of lives, loss of livelihoods as well. And you know, our reporters and our photographers have been there to, to chronicle those. We tell stories about how communities get through. We don't sugarcoat it, but at the same time, if a community knows its story, it knows that it can survive and get through. And that's what, what this spot in, you know, tries to do in 30 seconds. You know, we'll, we'll be here to tell these stories as the, as the community gets through. Together, we will endure the Times Union. You can see this video. It, it'll be on News Channel 13. It'll be on Channel 10. You can see it on our website, timesunion.com. You can see it on our YouTube page. Uh, it'll be out there, so don't miss it. Uh, and finally, let's get an update. How is the newsroom coping with COVID-19 this week? Are there any new challenges, any successes? What's, what's the latest? I think everybody's de dealing with this remarkably well. I, will, I would point out that we have had a couple of new employees, especially on our digital team, who have uh, started in, in recent weeks, including one person who started on Monday. And of course, the onboarding process for somebody in a period like this when everybody is working re remotely is hugely challenging. You know, Jess, you started a couple of weeks before <laughs> before the apocalypse occurred, and it was very nice because we were able to, I think we probably had snacks on your first day or something like that. And everybody, There were we, definitely you know, donuts in the office. Yes, we were able to kind of take you around and say, hey, meet Jess Marshall. <laughs> you know, we're very excited to have her. And so people were able to put uh, an actual moving human face with a name as opposed to, for example, a Slack channel avatar or something like that. And, um, you know, two of these people, they're unable to move here. They were all planning a late March move. They were uh, boxing up their stuff. One's in Ohio, and another is down in Virginia. And I really feel for them. It's gotta be tough. You know what it's like to kind of, to switch jobs, to switch towns. But imagine doing all that in this type of in this type of um, uh, a, a crisis. It's it's really difficult. I I feel for them, but um, happily it's a it's a good newsroom, and and hopefully you can pick up social cues from Slack calls and WebEx and Zoom and all that other stuff. So we're happy to have them. Well, building up a lot of eagerness. We can't wait to actually meet them in person. Yes, when this is all over, we will party like it's 1999. <laughs> that's a great that's a great ending i love that so, so until next week we will uh keep on trucking right thanks a lot just be well you too 
We'll check back in with our intrepid editor next week. Meanwhile, even during a pandemic, life must go on. So must death. That's the opening line of the story Times Union business reporter Michael Williams filed this week about how local funeral homes are affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. I checked in with him via Zoom to chat about his reporting. Tell me a little bit about the story. You know, during the coronavirus, of course, you know, people still die, unfortunately, um, from unrelated causes. And you know, I was just really curious how funeral homes and uh, funerals would, would, would work in this process. Um, and it turns out that funeral home uh, directors are having to make a, a lot of changes because of concerns about the pandemic. So there's, of course, the concerns about crowds of people uh, filing into a funeral home. So in order to mitigate that, funeral home directors are, uh, have been directed to limit the gatherings to immediate family members, but it's actually up to the family to decide uh, who's immediate and who's not. So the funeral home owners are kind of just asking those families to make a judgment. But apart from that, these directors need all the personal protective equipment that uh, hospitals also need um, and that we're really seeing a uh, short supply of um, because, of course, they have to embalm the bodies. They have to get them ready for uh, the arrangements. So I've spoken with some funeral directors who are also seeing a shortage of those equipment, uh, equipment like masks, gowns, and, uh, and gloves as well. Isn't that, though, kind of par for the course for funeral homes? I mean, it's, they don't just deal with people who've died of a, an illness like COVID-19. You know, there's all kinds of infectious diseases, right? I mean, is this part of their, you know, ordinary procedure? Yeah, so anytime you're handling a dead body, of course, you, you need to keep yourself protected, um, you know, not just if they died from a disease, but just, just because of the process that happens when, when somebody dies. Um, so it is, it is part for the course that funeral home directors have protected themselves while preparing uh, these bodies for, for funerals and for viewings. Um, but now, from, from what I've heard, some of them are seeing a run on supplies. Some of them say that they're still doing pretty well, but there is that concern among, among some funeral home directors. That's really interesting. And in your in the course of your speaking with different funeral directors, I mean, what are they saying overall about this, about their business? How is it affecting their business? Like everybody else, they're having to uh, to make changes to how they conduct their business. Uh, funeral homes are considered an essential business, but of course they still have to comply with uh, the social distancing requirements set in place by the state. I'm hearing about some funeral homes doing things like Zoom funerals where you, you don't actually have anybody inside of the uh, memorial chapel. And, you know, of course, for, for people who recently passed away in nursing homes or hospitals, you have to think that their family members haven't seen them for weeks. Mm -hmm. So they never had a chance to say goodbye uh, because of the, the strict visitation requirements that have been put in place by these places. Um, so just think about the compound of grief right there, that first you couldn't say goodbye to your loved one when they were still alive. And now that they're dead, you still can't say goodbye to them in person. Oh, that is so rough. I mean, that adds an, a whole other level of a psychological component to something that's already pretty heavy with grief. So that's that's got to be an interesting new thing for them to field. Absolutely. Yeah, I just I can't imagine how those families must feel. Um, you know, of course, this is something that nobody anticipated. If, if people would have known that they wouldn't have been allowed in a nursing home or in a hospital, uh, you know, say in late February, 
I'm just kind of wondering, um, you know, would, would they have made more of an effort to go visit their loved ones when they were still alive? So it's, it's just a really heartbreaking situation. Sure. And as you said before, I mean, people are dying. Obviously, people have died for the entirety of human history. Funeral directors aren't around here anyway, aren't seeing any slowdowns in business because of this, or are they? Nobody's told me that they're seeing a, a slowdown in business. Of course, um, you know, life goes on and, and so does death, uh, unfortunately. The great opening line of your article was that life <laughs> goes on, but so does death. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I don't think that they're really seeing a, a hurt in their business. Um, I, I also haven't heard any heard anybody say that they're seeing increased number of, uh, of clients or of uh, funerals that they're having to undertake as well. Interesting, interesting. So what's next for this story? Sure, yeah, I'd really uh, like to speak with a, a family uh, who has had to make changes to their arrangements because their loved one died either from COVID-19, uh, the disease caused by the coronavirus, or of just unrelated causes. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, like I said, this isn't just affecting families who, uh, whose loved ones died of, of the virus. It's affecting families whose loved ones died of any cause uh, within about the past month. Can you tell me what it's like, you know, from a reporter's perspective to report on something like this? I mean, you have to reach out to families who are, are grieving. And, you know, that's something that reporters do on a daily basis almost. But can you just sort of speak to the, you know, the process that you go through when you report on a story that's sensitive like this? Of course, you know, you really do want to keep in mind that these families have, have been through a lot. Um, so you, you have to sort of take that into account when you're reaching out to them and, and through your reporting. That's something that I'm always very, very cognizant of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to me, whenever I'm reporting on a story, uh, especially one that involves a tragedy, these families' feelings come, come before any sort of information I can get in the story. And that's something that I always want to keep in front of my mind. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me about the story. Sure thing. Thank you so much, Jessica. After the break, we'll hear about some everyday heroes, people in our community who are holding us up as we endure a difficult time. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. This past week, the Times Union launched a special feature section. It's devoted to chronicling the stories of exceptional people in our community who are making an exceptional difference during an exceptional time. They're called Everyday Heroes. For more, I talked to senior writer Steve Barnes. Can you tell me, first of all, about this sort of special section, what's involved, what people can expect to read? To start off with, let's say, we recognize that it is, in some ways, an oxymoron, you know, kind of like jumbo shrimp or military intelligence, is a hero every day. And what we really thought is, yes, it is, because while there are the doctors and nurses and other hospital workers and first responders who are out there every day. But there are so many tens of thousands, millions of others Americans who are helping others in, in different ways. And we thought not to take anything away from, from those on the front lines, but there are others that we wanted to showcase as well. So we've had a special section uh, devoted to uh, coronavirus and its effect on the capital region, in the, for the last couple of Sundays. And for this past Sunday, we wanted to showcase some of these everyday heroes. So we put the word out 
to readers through various social media and, and on Times Union and dot com. And it, they came back by the dozens. There were so many just amazing stories from a restaurant in Albany called Kitchen 216 that is just making 75 to 90 free lunches uh, every weekday for kids. They're doing busy takeout, and so it's not actually that difficult. And they've been able to incorporate it in. And the owner says she likes to give enough food. So if this is the only really solid meal a kid gets every day, no matter how long this goes on, she's going to keep doing it. So we heard so many stories like that. And this will be going roughly every Thursday and Sunday, uh, but we'll, it'll have this tagline of the everyday heroes on it. Tell me about some of the others as well, some of the ones that you wrote about this past week. Well, one of them was, was Kitchen 216 that I wrote about. And another was, there's a transportation service that takes people to medical appointments, but non-emergency. If you're on dialysis, it, it may not be an emergency, but it is essential. You need dialysis multiple times a week. And so this service grew out of the founder of some, maybe five years ago, one of her relatives had a brain injury and they were really dissatisfied with the sort of transportation options they had because people recovering from TBI really need to participate in day programs or rehab programs several times a week, if not even daily. And they're eligible for social services, for government funding, but they don't necessarily have family members who can get them there. So they, they founded Care For You Transportation that takes people to these appointments. Now, a lot of the medical appointments are, are not necessary, but they're still doing dozens upon dozens every week. And so this one driver, he's He'd been in the restaurant business. He wanted more regular hours. I'm friendly. I'm a good talker. I'm a good driver. And he, he keeps doing that. And they, you know, they sanitize the cars. They have them professionally cleaned every week. And they sanitize be, between every single rider. And there's another uh, group out there called Feed Albany that I expect we'll spotlight at some point. And Feed Albany now is about a 50 to 60 volunteer activity that is, that is making five or 6,000 meals a week. Yesterday alone, they made more than 1,000 meals, and they're going to the needy. They're going to people who conventionally receive food assistance, and then these also are going to unemployed restaurant workers. The cooks in the kitchen and some of the people out front are volunteering their time, and they're providing food for their restaurant colleagues who don't have any income. Wow. So throughout this process, I mean, you're, you're hearing a lot of really feel-good stories amid, you know, a cloud of, of bad news and, and overwhelming news. Like, how does reporting on these things make you feel during this time? When things are normal, news is almost by definition bad. News is something that fractures normalcy. It is maybe something good. You know, maybe a fireman rescues a baby from a burning building, but there was something bad there. You know, a fire with an endangered baby. Here, where bad is almost normal, where people are worried, people are getting sick, people are dying. New York State, Saturday, 600 people died. Sunday, 600 people died just from this. All of a sudden, good news becomes the news. You know, the, the stand-up behavior that we're able to report on is say, look at these people being good to each other. And I, I think what's really been extraordinary is how people think, at least for a while when we come out of it, I mean, the human nature being what it is, people are going to go back to being jerks to one another. But at least for a while, I think there will be a change in how we consider and appreciate one another. You know, there was a, a restaurant owner who said, she just missed people coming in the door so she could hug and kiss them. Were there any 
folks that you came across um, that really whose jobs or whose functions or what they've done really sh surprised you? You know, you wouldn't have expected something like this to be helpful in times like these. Are there any of those yet? You know, my, my mechanic runs uh, his own for many years, his own Broadway auto in Manans and Auto repair is still essential. People do need to get around, but they're running a skeleton crew. They're being very, very careful. Uh, he was telling me he also discovered if he puts on his work gloves, the nitrile gloves, he can put hand sanitizer right on top of the nitrile gloves, and that way he doesn't dry out his hands. But they're still doing, you know, you have to call, you have to drop off. And, and the things that have changed so much for everybody really, I think, has given people as I said, at least initially, it's given people a new appreciation for one another. So if people have everyday heroes that they want to recommend, that how are you collecting heroes? Just go to timesunion.com. We have a section there. If you look for everyday heroes, it'll pop up and there's a submission button. And the easiest way to do it, sbarnes at timesunion.com. S-B-A-R-N-E-S at timesunion.com. And I will make sure it gets to the right place. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. All right. Thank you. That's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, head over to timesunion.com or check us out on social for the latest news and features in our region. Stay safe out there.